This program is a presentation of UCTV for educational and non-commercial use only. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, let me first of all thank Carter for inviting me. Uh, we have been hearing for several years about the tremendous quality of these meetings from our colleagues uh, here in La Jolla. Uh, we have also been invited to come here, but this is actually the first time that we managed to, to do so. I would also like to thank the Mathers Foundation and my good friend Jim Handelman for been such a good supporter of this group. And also I'd like to say that it's a pleasure to be here at the Salk Institute, which as many of you know, has been for me and for Hana also one of our intellectual homes since the 1980s. Now, although all of this is very pleasurable, I have to say that when I got a letter that said that I had to speak for 18 minutes, and it is now 17.04 seconds. I was uh, pretty, pretty frightened. It made me think of the Royal Institution in London, where on the Friday sessions, besides having you in a black tie, they tell you you have to speak for 60 minutes, not one more minute, not one less minute, and besides, you cannot say good evening. Uh, and that is exactly the situation in which I feel, and great pressure. So what I did this morning was throw away my slides, uh, and instead of talking extemporaneously, I'm actually going to read some of the sections, and maybe we will land on the 20 minutes. I have no idea. So, let me start. One of Stephen Zondheim's clever songs has an intriguing title, Art Isn't Easy. Well, it isn't, but talking about art is not easy either, and talking about art in the brain is worse. But here we are, foolhardy as it may seem, Neurobiology is daring to investigate the origins, features, and neural correlates of the artistic process, and even of aesthetic experience. One of the first problems faced by anyone talking about art is the diversity of objects of study. Jean-Pierre just alluded to that. Asked to participate in the meeting, all of us had quite naturally different arts in mind. Jean-Pierre naturally, as a great collector, he had the visual arts. I actually had music. Others will have had dance, painting, sculpture, perhaps poetry, theater, or film, or even design, such as in architecture. So the activities appear too diverse in substrate, practice, known historical development and style to fit comfortably under one single label. Nonetheless, there are some features shared by the arts, uh, and here's the first list. First, an attempt at expressing individuality, distinction, attractiveness, and novelty, invested with emotion on the part of the creator and with the capacity to induce emotions and feelings in the recipient. Second, a promotion in the recipient of an exercise of the imagination, resulting in the very least in a simulation of emotional states and, at its best, 
is an engagement with moral judgments and social and intellectual issues. So, in spite of the obvious difficulties, we do have some common ground here, without even needing to appeal to notions such as high art versus low art. Now let me also say that I disagree with what I could only call the savagery of pulling down the achievements of aesthetics to mechanical neurologizing and explaining the experience of art in purely scientific terms. Those who do so distract their audience from what is truly distinctive about art. On the other hand, there is a matter of origins and motives behind art, and I believe neurobiology can and should attempt to discuss such origins and such motives, and this falls very much under the charter of Carter. So let me preview my proposal. Life is obviously precious, but it is also not so obviously precarious. Life is a complicated state that requires both energy and extraordinarily intricate maintenance processes. When that complicated process is successful, and of course it has been for all of us in this room, it is said that we are in a homeostatic state, a state in which the dynamic balance that keeps the parameters of our internal milieu within certain numerical ranges is achieved. Outside of that state, disease or death set in. So if you ever wonder why health care is such an important social and political issue, the answer is simple. Sliding into illness is easy, and medicine manages human life when life is affected by disease. So let me submit to you that one of the reasons why the arts first emerged, music, dance, painting, sculpting, poetry, theater, is precisely the same, the need to manage life. Call it the homeostatic impulse. Um, it had a double-pronged effect, improving communication among individuals on the one hand, managing life on the way to well-being on the other. And of course, uh, I don't uh, need to remind you that there are many other additional explanations of why art played so well. We could cite E.O. Wilson's uh, marvelous suggestion that art succeeded so well in evolution because it made the artist far more attractive uh, in terms of sexual mates, uh, and that's probably quite so. Just think of Picasso. He was even taller than me, uh, and he did very well. But to explain why I think that the homeostatic impulse was so important in art, I need to tell you some more about the evolutionary history of homeostasis. So I said that homeostasis requires the use of extraordinary computational power and physical resources so that survival is possible. But it's important to note that that uh, particular process began in earlier phases of evolution uh, to be managed non-consciously, in fact guided by automated devices that regulate the balance of our chemistries within an organism. This happened first actually in single eukaryotic cells, cells with a nucleus, and very single cells at that, without a brain and obviously without a mind. Um, and it's very important to realize that the fundamental mandates of what becomes consciousness were in fact present in single cells uh, long before there was a possibility of conceiving deliberately of achieving something as uh, balance and survival. At some point, we added to those devices a process uh, called the brain, a structure and a process called the brain, and eventually a process that came out of that brain called mind. 
that allowed us to get better at surviving. Even later, we added a protagonist to the mind, I like to call it the self, which is the possibility of referring our mental goings-on to our individual biology. The self engenders a concern for the life proceedings, and it allows individuals to seek well-being, a state far more complex and difficult to attain than mere survival. And it is only then that the game of life changes radically, and that we move from blind biology, which is neutral and careless, to the rebellious determination that brings on complex social behavior and eventually cultures and civilizations. I would like to add that I think that art can only emerge then and it becomes a critical component of that cultural evolution. Now I would like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and dream of beginnings. And I think Jean-Pierre helped us into this by bringing on caves uh, into his pictures. And just imagine humans of long ago, before language made its appearance, but already mindful and conscious, already equipped with emotions and feelings, already aware of what it is to be sad or to be joyful, to be in danger or be in safety and comfort, to enjoy gain or suffer loss, to have pleasure or pain. Or think of humans not that long after language would have begun and place them in a cave. And now imagine how one would have expressed those states of which one was mindful. Perhaps one would express them by intoning. I'm th thinking about intoning calls of danger or calls of mating, calls of gathering, calls of joy, calls of mourning. Shall I suggest even singing or humming such calls? The human vocal system is a beautiful musical instrument. Or imagine drumming, which by the way can be done on your own chest. Um, it's a wonderful instrument. Uh, imagine drumming as a mind-concentrating device or as a social organizing device, a drum to order, a drum to arms. Or imagine blowing on a primitive bone flute as a means of magic enchantment, seduction, consolation. It was not Mozart yet, it was not Tristan and Isolde, but a way had been found. And incidentally, in order for us to dream some more, if you go to Altamira or to Lascaux, you will find that in the very same places where you have wonderful uh, visual art, and the first pictorial representations that can really be called artistic, there are also uh, excellent acoustics right in those places. And it's easy to dream and imagine that it's exactly on those places that sessions would have taken place where there would, in fact, be some kind of musical or dance performance that would go with the pictorial representations and which would have a tremendous social bonding effect. So at the birth of art such as music, dance, painting, there probably was an intent to communicate to others, but communicate what? Communicate information about threats and opportunities, about organizing social behavior, and about one's own sadness or joy. The intent by the way, was probably preceded by a very natural discovery that when this happened, it had an effect that was positive. It worked. But a compensatory balance would probably have been achieved as well. And again, this could have been discovered. And if it had not, if there had been no compensatory balancing effect, how would the arts have prevailed? And all of that even before the marvelous discovery that when humans were able to produce words and string them together in sentences, not all sounds sounded alike. The sounds had accents and relationships among the accents. 
Accents could create rhythms, and certain rhythms could create pleasure. Poetry could begin, and the technique could eventually be fed back into the practice of music or dance. Of course, the arts came to look very different centuries later. The history of cultures has developed techniques, skills, massive intellectual elaborations for all the arts, much in the same way it is done so for medicine, science, or technology. So, Art could only emerge once certain, once certain mental features were established along the Pleistocene period in all likelihood. Let me itemize some. The discovery of pleasure from certain shapes and certain pigments, as well as the discovery of body decoration. The discovery of pleasure from certain features of sounds and certain kinds of organization of sounds. I'm thinking of timbres, pitches and their relationships, rhythms. The discovery of pleasure in certain kinds of spatial organization in certain landscapes, open vistas, proximity to living forms. Uh, and all of this had to be discovered in a setting of play and in a setting of practice. Also required was the establishment of progressively more complex levels of life regulation, beyond plain reward and punishment mechanisms and drives and motivations. I'm thinking of mechanisms of attachment and bonding child-parent, male-female, emotions proper, centered both on the individual and on the group. In case of the group, emotions related to dominance, to leadership, to defense. Um, in the case of the individual, emotions proper, such as fear, anger, joy, sadness, shame and ind indignation, compassion, admiration, pride, contempt, revenge. All of those were, in fact, uh, emerging as envelopes of, um, and, and highly complex computational devices in the brain, and all of them were characterized by an enormous intelligence because they were, in fact, capable from their complex computations, even before we were properly minded and conscious, they were able to de de uh, deliver extremely efficient um, behaviors. So the emergence of the arts was possibly precipitated, as far as I can see, by two kinds of catalysts. And these are, of course, hypotheses and my preferred ones. One is the recognition of the value of communication, again, in alarm calls or calls about opportunity, and their intelligent exploitation and manipulation through variations, which, of course, play, human play, would easily induce. And second, events having to do with the engagement or the disruption of attachment and bonding processes. And, of course, with a variety of other emotion-related phenomena. I mentioned uh, several before, but pride, admiration, shame, revenge, compassion would be very important prompts. Now, of course, art may have begun as a homeostatic device for the artist and as a means of communication for all, and I think that that is certainly my preferred uh, hypotheses. But today, on the side of the artist and on the side of the audience, the uses could not be more varied. Uh, in the very least, the art one practices and the art one experiences is, number one, still a privileged means to transact factual and emotional information. Of course, the epic poems gave us that, and it's quite interesting when you think of the novel of the 19th century and of the 20th century, certainly the first part of the 20th century before the uh, enormous development of science, uh, literature was, in fact, a primary means of high-level transaction of information. Number two, a means to induce nourishing emotions and feelings of varied kinds and importance. 
Now, of course, all the arts do this in spades. Uh, film uh, and all the derivatives of film still continue to do this very strongly, but I would submit that music does this most of all, and most importantly and most universally of all. Third, a way into exploring one's minds and the minds of others. Jean-Pierre again alluded to this, and I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting that in this regard, again, literature was a fundamental means of exploration, um, but this was a function that was very rapidly usurped at first by psychoanalysis at the turn of the century, then by film, and now, for the good of many of us in this room, by neuroscience. In fact, neuroscience is probably the main competitor with those other artistic means of exploration, and literature has more to fear from neuroscience as, <laughs> as uh, uh, all, but I think actually the marriage of the two is uh, quite possible and desirable. Number four, a means to rehearse specific aspects of life. This remains one of the most important deliveries uh, or deliverables of art. And of course, Aristotle knew this very well. The entire uh, essays on tragedy talk about this and in fact about little more and privileged tragedy over comedy precisely because of the enormous uh, exercise effect that art can have, uh, the enormous rehearsal effect that it can have, which is of course the same reason why people can even go to uh, suspense films precisely to rehearse situations uh, without noticing so uh, in which they hope they will never be involved in. Um, next, a means to exercise moral judgment and moral action and in this uh, uh, the arts remain perhaps um, unrivaled. In general, a means into a life examined. So I would say that ultimately because art has deep roots in biology, which I think are very easily recognizable and which I think, again, agreeing with Jean-Pierre, can be investigated quite solidly um, and has deep roots in biology and the human body. But because it can elevate us to the greatest heights of thought and feeling, art is a valid way into the refinement that, uh, that humans long to achieve, a refinement that you're perfectly authorized to call a spiritual dimension, if you so wish. Um, in talking about this subject not too long ago, can we shut this thing? Good. Um, in talking about uh, this topic not too long ago with uh, Jory Graham, one of the greatest living poets of the English language, um, Jory referred, uh, she used a fabulous verb for this, she said, when we undergo art, and I said, Jory, that's an absolutely marvelous word. So I would say that, you know, I could summarize um, using her suggestion that when we undergo art, we change for the better. Now, let me close with answers to a couple of questions which have very much to do with the Charter of Carter. Charter of Carter is a pleonasm, by the way, but never mind. Um, so were the arts valuable in evolution? I would say yes, they had a direct survival value, they contributed to the development of the notion of well-being, they cemented social groups, and possibly even helped humans move out of the Paleolithic. Why so? Because they assisted with communication and compensated for emotional imbalances caused by fear, anger, desire, sadness, and grief. Also because they promoted social organization. Finally, because they began a long process of establishing a sociocultural record. Thank you very much.